Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, once again, we have the great privilege of having the evangelist David Sumadorf come and open up the Word of God. Now, he's been working on a series, and we're thankful that you've been faithful to each of them. He started on Sunday morning, went on Sunday night, now hit again on Tuesday night, and now this Wednesday he is finishing up. And of course, you could always go back and listen to them once again. They're already up on our app for a lot of them. Uh, YouTube and then our website, everything will be updated soon. We also have them scheduled for July 15th through 18th, 2023. And of course, that's already updated on our app. You can go to our app and put save date and it will put it in your phone already. And as a reminder, so isn't technology great? And so we've already got him booked and we're already looking forward to uh, what God is going to be doing during that time. And we do have an amazing God. Of course, if I was an evangelist and I had a choice, of course I would be coming up to Wisconsin with the high temperature of the summers of 85 degrees. Beats Arizona. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and so why not? It's gorgeous out here. Y'all have amazing. I hope you guys realize how amazing your summers are. Uh, you guys hit tw- 90 twice this year. You guys all thought you were going to die, but... It's amazing summers. I wish it'd be warm enough that I could swim outside in my pool. <laughs> pool stays at 60 degrees. Oh, well, that's a different conversation. We need to get back to spiritual. And other. But we've already got him booked again. He's coming, and he's going to be a great blessing. And before he comes back in three years, he's going to come back here one more time and open up the Word of God and be a blessing to us. Thank you so much, preacher. We love you. Thank you, you preacher. Amen. Thank you, my brother, and good evening, church family. Well, we're going to do that again, aren't we? Good evening, church family. Ah, there we go, alive and alert. You know, one thing about conferences, you get everything except rest. They are a little busy because every night you're meeting, I know some of you getting up really, really early to go to work, and I appreciate your faithfulness in coming. And a very special thank you, too, to the young people. Appreciate you all coming back and putting up with this old gray head. And hopefully there's been some truths that have been a help to your heart. Now, very quickly, I want to read a thank you note. The thank you note is from the Summerdorfs. And as has become our tradition, we are still under very strict budget cuts, so we save the stamp and we read it instead. All right? So here we go. Dear Dr. Scotty. Dr. Scotty, right? And church family, my, what a delight to be a part of your fall revival services, to see y'all once again, and to worship and fellowship together in the Lord. Many thanks for your kind care of us throughout our stay, from the wonderful meals you treated us to on Sunday and Wednesday, had a great meal tonight with your pastor and his wife and their children, and uh, Kendall came along too, we appreciate having her. And uh, entertainment. You always get to have the entertainment come, right? Good to have you, Kendall. Kendall's a twin, by the way. I'm a twin. So we kind of fist bumped on that. And she's oldest by a few minutes, as am I. We got more twins? Miss Nancy? That's right. 
wow, this is the the Twins Church. Minnesota, well, you know, I was Minnesota Twins. Anybody ever watch them play? Amen. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll get back to the thank you, okay? Uh, your pastor went to the swimming pool. I went to Twins, all right? From the wonderful meals you treated us to, as well as the use of the vehicle, the numerous conversations, words of encouragement showered upon us, so refreshing. Also, very special thanks for the very generous love gift, expense checks you bestowed upon us, so much more than we deserve. We're humbled by your incredibly sacrificial spirit. Though numerically small, your hearts are hugely, hugely gracious. And above and beyond what we could ask or think, thank you. In Pilate's terms, man, you guys are way beyond that useful load. Far, far beyond. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Already looking forward to our next time together. Until then, may you continue face-to-face, side-by-side. And, well, I won't tell you what that third point is because you're here tonight with one another and with the Lord. All our love and gratitude, Brother Dave and Miss Deb. Our ministry verse is 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. Pastor, if you come, I want to go ahead and give you this and a couple other items here. Uh, I do have, well, the keys and a full tank of fuel in there as well. There's the thank you note. And that, hello, my name is David, and this is my story. I'm giving you the template. If you want to use the template, uh, I think we talked a little bit about trying to get your story going, all right? Right, and so I'm kind of excited about that. And then I want to give you, Pastor, something that of the seven recordings our children recorded, one of them was asked for very frequently. And it was the moments with the master. It's our daughter Kimberly on piano just talking to you through piano with uh, hymns, with spiritual songs, just meditative music. Great to put on at night as you wind your day down. Maybe to put in in the morning while you're doing some reading in your Bible. This was one of the most requested. I'm going to gift that to you. And then every single family here tonight gets one of those as well, okay? So on the way out, see my wife. That's our gift to you. And, uh, and I'm going to let you have an extra one for your family, okay? So have one of the girls or Miss Leah come by. That we got one. Do you already have one? I've known you for 20 years. I've got you've got one. You've got. That's fine, brother. We listen. It's very good. We recommend it. In fact, sometimes we put the music on in the background. This. All right. Well, I, yeah, you, it's great. you can get another one. Oh, yeah. We've got enough. I'm, all right. But I'm every family. It's really good. All right. Every family. And Grandma, you got quite a, quite a herd of grandkids strung out there. All right. So you be sure to pick two up from my wife. All right. So you can let them use that. Let me tell you this. I'll just add this for free. All right. That's good, Pastor. I've got some one more thing, but it's not for you. All right. Um, Thank you. You're welcome, brother. Thank you. I want to say this about music. We said this to our children all the time. We have six children. We now have 11 grandchildren. If God gets your friends and God gets your music, God gets you. You think about it. If God gets your friends and God gets your music, God gets you. But if the devil gets your friends and the devil gets your music, the devil gets you. I dare you to prove me wrong. 59 years old, it's true everywhere I go. And you may be out there tonight saying, oh, no, 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 I got bad friends, but you know, I can bend this and I can make. Better than you have tried to do it and failed. 
You think you're so smart. You're foolish. You pick your friends, and they're wise friends and godly friends. They'll influence you for Jesus. But you let the devil pick your friends and your music, and I'm going to tell you, it'll shipwreck you every single time. Amen? So there's something for free. That was an extra sermon. All right? I'm not going to pass the plates for that one. That was just included. Now, we've got something else here, too. Got a $50 Olive Garden gift card. Now, the nice thing about Olive Garden gift cards, they can be used at Longhorn Steakhouse, too. They can also be used at Cheddar's if you have a Cheddar's in town. I don't know, but they're the Darden property. And this is for you, Miss Leah. You come on up. Now, here's the thing. There's a rule that goes with this. Here's the rule. No children can go with you. All right? And you don't want to go alone. You're going to have to have somebody go with you. So as I hand you this from Deb and I, we're going to pray your husband is on good enough behavior to be your date one night, okay? Thanks for being a blessing. We appreciate you. Amen. Take your Bibles tonight. Philippians chapter 2, looking at that obscure individual by the name of Epaphroditus. We're coming into the final message and the final title that the Spirit of God through Paul bestowed upon this man. Philippians chapter 2, look with me in verse 25. Philippians 2.25, he says, Yet I supposed it necessary... Philippians 2.25, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Notice in verse 29 again, look at the sacrifice of this man. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation, very high regard. Notice the reason why, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. A fellow brother, a fellow laborer, a fellow soldier, the household of Epaphroditus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for this final moment together. And Lord, as we turn our hearts toward you once again, please help us to set aside the busy thoughts, the cares, the frustrations Lord, even maybe the sin and selfishness that would try to invade our hearts. And Lord, I pray we would be emptied of ourselves. May, Father, your Holy Spirit speak to us and may we be filled with your word. And Father, may you do a work in each of our hearts. As we consider this final title bestowed upon this man, Epaphroditus, that of a fellow soldier. Lord, may you use this thought to challenge the marriages that are represented here. Use this thought, Lord, to strengthen and challenge the friendships that are represented under the sound of my voice. And Lord, also use this message to strengthen and challenge this church family as well. Lord, may we be worthy of the name Epaphroditus. May we not simply be fellow brothers and sisters, fellow laborers, but Lord, help us by your grace to be fellow soldiers for the King's cause. We ask and pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. The household of Epaphroditus. The first title Paul bestows upon him, he calls him fellow brother. And I noted these men had no common bond until Jesus Christ came along. But the day they entered into fellowship with the Son, they automatically entered into fellowship with one another and enjoyed social communication. We said that was a face-to-face relationship. But then as they grew 
in the grace and knowledge of their Savior, they, they entered into another level of relationship that was deeper, that was richer. They became fellow laborers. And I noted that is a side-by-side relationship. In the harness together, serving and laboring for the Lord. The memory verse, if you've never memorized it, you ought to. It's a good one. Galatians 5.13. It was an early verse that I memorized as a new believer. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. Sometimes Christians tell me, I just don't feel any joy in my Christian life. You want to know most of the time why that is? Obedience brings joy. And you were saved to serve. And until you serve, there's not going to be joy. It's just going to be duty. It's just going to be, you know, it's going to be a cold, um, it's just going to be a cold uh, sense of religion. But there's something about serving Because you and I were saved to serve. That brings joy when when it's extended to others. Amen? So I'm challenging you to consider that. To get out of your box and to look at someone else's. To get out of your little woe is me and look towards someone else. Amen? And do it not just for them. Do it for him. But inadvertently, without realizing it, you'll really... Do it for you as well. Amen? Joy is a byproduct of obedience. So fellow brothers face to face and sisters, fellow laborers side by side. But here, Paul notes the highest level of relationship as he refers to this man as a fellow soldier. As a fellow soldier. I want to say tonight as we begin this thought, in noting this relationship, He automatically reminds every one of us that's saved that the Christian walk includes warfare. I'm going to say that again. He reminds every one of us that are born again, blood-washed, heaven-bound, children of the Most High God. He reminds us with that title that the Christian walk includes warfare. Listen to some of these verses. If you have a pen or a pencil, you might want to jot them down. Notice, all through the Bible, we have this confirmed to us. 1 Peter 2.11, what's the command? Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Sounds like a battle to me. Amen? It's warfare. 1 Timothy 6.12, another verse. 1 Timothy 6.12, he commands Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Sounds like a battle to me. In Ephesians 6, we're commanded to put on the whole what? Armor of God. You don't need armor if you're not in a battle. Sounds like a battle to me. He says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, he commands young Timothy, endure hardness as a good what? Soldier of Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Timothy 4 7, Paul looks back on his entire Christian life and listen to what he says. He sums it up. He says, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. You know, verses like these and many others remind us as believers that the Christian walk includes warfare. Amen? Now, I need to say that tonight, because American Christianity doesn't like the battle. 
American Christianity has this idea. Lord, save me so I can go to heaven. I want your robe of righteousness. I want all the bennies of being a child of the king. <gasps> but don't ask me to fight the good fight of faith. Now that's really sad. Because whether you like it or not, the day you got saved, along with the robe of righteousness, came the uniform from a king. And whether you want to fight or not, you're in it. Amen? People say, well, what's the devil got against me? It's not you. It's your association with Jesus Christ. By virtue of enlisting in his family, by virtue of joining his family, you don't just get his friends. You get his enemies as well. And they hate you with a passion. I think American Christianity forgets this. We just think it's all about joy. No, there's a battle. But uniquely... You might want to jot this down, and you, I want you to help, help me here. We are in a very unique theater of operations, believers. Ours is not a single front war. Ours is not even a two-front war. The Christian walk is a three-front war. Who are, who are our enemies? Let's identify them. Don't shout it out. Raise your hand. You say, one of our three enemies. There's three enemies every believer has. One of them would be? The flesh, that's your old sin nature, all of its filthy appetites, all its desire to be worshipped. The flesh wants the, the worship, the preeminence, to be, to be the center of it all. That's the flesh, the old nature. That's your enemy that sits in your campfire 24-7. That is your first enemy. What's another one? Yes, sir. The devil. The devil is an enemy. He's real. I remember early in my Christianity, just a couple years in, how I uh, confronted demons in the barracks at, uh, at Naval Air Station Whidbey. And two men were possessed of the devil. And I remember the church had to cast them out. And it's, that's real. There's powers of darkness. If you could peel back this thing, there are powers of darkness. They can't make you do a thing, but they can oppress you. If you're lost, they can possess you. Christian can't be possessed, but they can be oppressed, and I've seen it. And there's always this. Let me just give you the, let me give you the look. Both of these men were polar opposites. One thought he was God. The other was so quiet meek and humble, you felt guilty just for having joy. The devil deals in extremes. He's very real. Let me say this. His goal, if you're lost, is to keep you blinded to the gospel. To get you so focused on other stuff, you die, go to hell in the lake of fire with him. But if you're saved, his goal is to mess up your testimony. And make you utterly ineffective for the Lord. So the flesh is one. The devil is another enemy. What's the third one? What's the third one? Yes. The world. Is that what you're going to say, Graham? Okay. Your thought? Okay. The devil works through thoughts, by the way. He plants thoughts. Right? He can't make you do a thing. He can dangle the carrot. But your thought life. All right. But the world is the third one. What is the world? Oh, it's just the buildings. No, it's this world system of priorities. You know, it's the culture coming out of Paris. 
It's the idea, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. What's the American philosophy? Buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even care about. It's the materialistic focus and the desire to have things materially. That's the world. Pride. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is the culmination of the world. So here you are as a believer, saved. You have an enemy out there, the devil, prince of the power of the air. You have the world beckoning with all of its values that are totally opposite of the Lord. Isn't it interesting the Apostle Paul said that I am crucified to the world. In other words, when I show up at the party, the world goes, what's he doing here? He's the guy that kills it, man. All he wants to do is talk about eternity and what's going to happen when you die. The party don't want Paul. Y'all with me? They don't send Paul an invitation to come to their beer bust. Party does not want Paul there. Y'all with me? But you know what Paul said? He flipped it. He said, I'm not crucified. The world's crucified to me. It doesn't do a thing for me. I could care less about it. Oh, that American Christians would say that. But we don't. We got one foot in that world. And oh, we love Egypt. And then we got another one there. You know what our problem is? We want two heavens. We want the one God promises us that's yet to come. But we want one right now, too. We want them both. You're not going to get them both. You're only serving one master. You can't serve two. Amen? Your focus has to be singular. And so we have a three-front war. And what that simply means, Christian, it's a desperate battle at close quarters. Most kingdoms, nations never win a two-front war. We got a three-front war. This thing can be very overwhelming. And we must be able to count on each other completely in the midst of the battle as believers. Max, if you could come, I need the object lesson. Max, here we go. Max and I... Day we got saved, guarantee you, we wouldn't have spent a lot of time together before we got saved. All right, Max would not have liked me. I would not have enjoyed Max, okay? But then we get saved, and we have a common bond now in Jesus Christ. So we begin as fellow brothers, face to face. But then as we grow in grace and knowledge, we become fellow laborers. Amen? In the harness together, right? Okay. In the harness together. Still with me? Yep, good. In the harness together, laboring together. I'm just, just having fun. But as fellow soldiers in the intensity of the battle, we have a unique relationship. Turn and look that way. Fellows, turn. Turn. Left. Yes. <laughs> All right, brother. Gotcha. Fellow soldiers, don't move. Fellow soldiers go back to back. The battle's intense. Man, my plate's full. Y'all with me? I, I, and, and, and I'm dealing with everything. Fellow soldiers go back to back in the foxhole together. What that pictures is complete trust, complete reliance, complete dependence upon another. Wow. Thank you. Now, I'll have you come up later to illustrate this in a more personal way, all right? Thank you, Brother Max. What that pictures tonight, when you see that back-to-back, is it pictures complete trust, complete reliance and dependence upon someone else. 
literally for your survival. It's a very rare relationship. You probably can count on one hand somebody that may be that to you. But let me just say this. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Because as I develop this thought tonight, as I look at Paul and Epaphroditus, Paul's life hung in the balance based on the faithfulness of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the one delivering the contributions to Paul during his time in Rome as a prisoner. And if Epaphroditus didn't do his part, Paul would die. This was a very trusting relationship between these two men. Notice here, this complete trust and complete reliance we see is what David wanted with his king, King Saul. Look at what's said in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Yet after an incredible victory, notice the seeds of envy get sown in the heart of a king. Look what's said in verse uh, 6 of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. It says, And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, all right, notice that's Goliath, it says that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. Look at what's said. And the women answered one another as they played and said, here's their song, Saul has slain his thousands. That was verse number one. Boy, don't you know, look up for just a moment, don't you know Saul liked that song? Man, yeah, you know, slain my thousands. And then they came up with verse number two, and it says, and David his ten thousands. Look at the response King Saul had to this. And Saul was very wroth. The saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. To me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Here after an incredible victory while the camp of Israel is celebrating, the seeds of envy get sown in the heart of a king. And very shortly after, if you go to the very next chapter, in chapter 19, we see the cruel messenger of betrayal gets dispatched by this king. First Samuel 19 and verse number 1, here's the king's command. That Saul spake to Jonathan his son, and to all his servants, here comes the command, that they should kill David. David? David the psalmist? David the deliverer. He's the one who delivered Saul. Saul would be dead had David not showed up. David the man after God's own heart. David the loyal subject to his king. The edict goes out from the king kill David. You see in Psalm 55 if you go there you'll find the heart of David at this moment. Look at how his heart cries out as betrayal is sent his way by one he was serving. One that was a friend, not an enemy. Look at what he says in Psalm 55. Look at the heart of David. It cries out in verse number 12 of Psalm 55. Don't miss this. In Psalm 55, in verse 12, the Bible says, David cries out, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. He said, I can handle it when an enemy treats me like that. Psalm 55, 12. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. I would have seen that one coming. But it was thou. Verse 13, Psalm 55. A man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. 
walked into the house of God in company. We see David's anguished cry at the betrayal. Kind of that feeling of the knife in the back from a friend. You know, there's nothing more demoralizing and devastating and destructive than friendly fire. There's nothing worse. There's nothing more demoralizing and destructive than friendly fire in a marriage. Could I get an amen? Y'all pledged each other to one another for the rest of your life till death do us part. And instead, there's betrayal, there's knifing, there's arguing, you're tearing each other down. There's nothing more destructive than friendly fire in a marriage. And you'll pay for that with your kids, guarantee it, every time. There's nothing more, more destructing, destructive and demoralizing than friendly fire in a friendship. Somebody you walked with and had sweet fellowship with, and the next thing you know, wham! There's nothing more destructive and demoralizing than friendly fire in a family toward the kids. Blows away every foundation. There's nothing more destructive and demoralizing than friendly fire in a church. I remember years ago, your pastor, Pastor Hardesty, and I ran the Pat Tillman Memorial Run, 4.3 miles, Pat Tillman, everybody remembers the story of Pat Tillman. He was the, the kid that was going to be a multi-million dollar contract with the Cardinals, the football team, professional football team. And he went and turned that money down. He donned the beret. He became a soldier and began to fight in that war against terror. And Pat died. He was killed. And you know what? He came back in that casket. It was a national hero moment. Our hearts went out to a kid that turned down money to go die for our freedom. Man, there's something about that. It just gets my heart. But then we found out how he died. It was friendly fire. It was a cover-up afterwards. Man, I'm going to tell you, you go, you just check the Tillman family out. That family is bitter and messed up to this day. It just totally warped them. All of that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Lives that should have been working together, someone betrays. In a marriage, in a family, in a church, in a friendship. It'll mess you up. It'll mess you up. It's probably for me one of the hardest things to deal with in life is friendly fire. It's happened to me. It's part of the human experience, sadly, because hearts, fallen, depraved hearts and sin natures are involved and creates these things. It's interesting to me, though, what David could not get in his king, he got in Saul's son, Jonathan. Watch this. I want to give you a measure of hope here. You've been friendly fired. You've been fragged. I want you to show you something, how our God operates. In 1 Samuel, look what's said here. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, David flees in verse number 1. Where's he going to go? The king owns the kingdom. The king controls the narrative. The king can say whatever he wants. He can go ahead and paint the picture however he wants and hunt this kid down and kill him. 
all out of envy and jealousy. But notice here what David couldn't get in Saul, he finds in Jonathan. For as he flees, look what's said in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 20. And David swore moreover, and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. And look at this little statement David makes. You ought to just mark this. And David says this, But truly as the Lord liveth, Jonathan... As true as God's alive, and as you're alive, there is but a step between me and death. David is noting the tenuousness of his own life. One wrong move, Saul's got him. He senses his frailty. He senses how imminent death is. But you know what I wrote in the margin of my Bible? You might want to write it there, because I wrote this. Though there was but a step between David and death, something you miss and something I miss for a long time, there was just one step between Jonathan and the entire kingdom. What am I saying? Go to the end of chapter 20 and watch this. Saul sees Jonathan's loyalty to David. Remember, Jonathan is Saul's son. He sees this. He can't believe his boy is being loyal to David and not to dad. And he reminds Jonathan of something that maybe he forgot. He says this in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 20. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. What did he remind him of in verse 31? He said this, For as long as the son of Jesse liveth, now the son of Jesse is David, as long as a sunny Jesse liveth upon the ground, Jonathan, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wow. People have asked me, who was the greatest friend? Who was the greatest example of a friend in the Bible besides Jesus Christ? You know what my answer is every time? Jonathan. Jonathan. Saul pulls his son aside and says, don't you understand? You're next in line for the throne. When I'm dead, the kingdom's yours, Jonathan. Why are you being loyal to David and letting him get the kingdom from you? You're the next heir to the kingdom. Tell me where he is. Think how easy it would have been for Jonathan to just whisper into dad's ear, where David was holed up. And David wouldn't even know how the king found him. And Jonathan could be the next king because the competition was removed. Multi-millionaire, all the power, all the glory, all the praise. No, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He'd rather die an ignominious death with his loser dad at the hands of the Philistines than to sell out a friend. Son, that's friendship. That is unbelievable. He coughed it all up and gave it all away and chose to die rather than whisper to his dad where David was. Man, that's a friend. What's your price tag tonight? What would it take for you to sell out a friend, to sell out your marriage, to sell out your parents, to sell out your kids? What's it going to take? How much would it be? A million bucks? 10 million bucks. Hey, what? You'd be surprised. I've watched people sell out cheaply.
cheaply. Too hard, they sell it out. Can't endure hardness. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm telling you, I've seen it all. It's sad. And, I'm, and I will say this. I've, I've sold people out myself, too, in my immature days. It's a sick feeling. You get a piece of information about somebody you know, and it's, wow, it's big news. And then you go, it was in confidence, and you tell someone else this juicy piece of news, and then it comes back to them. I remember that time that happened to me. I was a young preacher, and I let a confidence slip out to someone else. And when that guy came back, a friend of mine, that gut shot look of his, saying, why did you, why, I told you that in confidence. I don't know how to describe that betrayal feeling. It's awful. It's horrible. I'd say this, it'd be better to be betrayed than be the betrayer. Amen? I'd rather be betrayed than be the betrayer. Oh, yeah. That's a sick feeling. We see here what David could not get in King Saul, he found in Jonathan. Let me say this. Some of you have a Saul-like experience going on right now. You've got somebody in your life that's being a Saul. You've got somebody in your life that's not being what you ought to be. Let me, let me give you a little hope. Don't stare so much at that Saul, you miss the Jonathan God's giving you. Our God is faithful to give Jonathans. Amen? He is. He does that. And you say, well, I don't see him. Sometimes Jonathan is nothing more than that Savior that sticketh closer than a friend. Sometimes it's your little old prayer closet where you get alone with Jesus Christ and he's your Jonathan. Sometimes it's the vertical. Sometimes it's a horizontal. But don't you ever stare so much at a Saul and a Saul experience that you completely miss the Jonathan God is shoveling your way and handing to you to be a blessing to you. I've found in my experiences Every time I've had a Saul, there's always been a Jonathan. And I say this, don't ever let something that happened to you, don't ever allow something that happened to you become bigger than what Jesus did for you. I'm going to say that again. Don't ever allow something that happened to you ever become bigger than what Jesus did for you. Man, it's all a matter of focus. I wrote this in my notes. Every, every David needs a Jonathan. Amen? Oh, yeah. Every Christian needs some Jonathans in his or her life. They're refreshing, aren't they? They're, they're loyal. They're faithful. Every pastor needs some Jonathans in his people. And every church member deserves a Jonathan in their pastor. Amen? Y'all with me? They deserve that. I, I say this, every husband needs a Jonathan in his wife. Every wife needs a Jonathan in her husband. Every child needs a Jonathan in their dad and mom. And every dad and every mom need a Jonathan in their children. Jonathans are refreshing. They don't sell you out. They stay loyal. They stay put. They have your best interest in mind, not theirs. Amen? They're rare. They're gems. As fellow soldiers, you may want to note this. We're not fighting for a position. We're not fighting for power. 
We're not fighting for personal gain and notoriety. We're not fighting for the praise of men. That was Saul's downfall. It was all about self. He was the big black hole that everything came into. Amen? And that was Ananias and Sapphira's problem. Their problem was, their sin was not lying against the Holy Spirit of God. It was competition in the church. They saw someone cash in the land and get praise for sacrificing him. They wanted that praise, but they didn't want to cash it all in. So they cashed in, held a portion so they could get the praise, but not really sacrifice. That's called competition in a local church. Doing things for the praise of men rather than the glory of God. As soldiers, you and I need to recognize we're fighting for our king and his cause. We're not fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for someone bigger than us. Amen? Oh, yeah. Two things about soldiers. Write them down. And Max, you're going to be coming up shortly here to illustrate a practical truth. Number one, fellow soldiers, good soldiers, stay committed to their cause. And our cause is Jesus Christ. Good soldiers stay committed to their cause. They endure hardness. They hold their position. What is our cause? We do all to the glory of God. That's our cause. His name is Jesus Christ. We stay committed to Him. And we're always concerned about the reputation of our King. You with me? I'm always concerned about what I say and what I do. How does that reflect upon Jesus Christ? Give you an example. This was a classic moment. We were in the RV park here uh, over about 20 minutes to the whatever direction, west. And uh, Deb came in chuckling yesterday. I said, what's so funny? She said, well, and it's a pretty empty RV park during the weekday, so we have a big area wide open. And uh, she said, well, I was out throwing Frisbee with Mitzi. Now, Mitzi's our little replacement. One, two, it was Patches, Lacey, Mitzi. Okay, Patches is the one that, you know, got into the trash. Then we had Lacey. Now we got a nine and a half pound Mitzi. She's a cute little turkey. So she, Deb, Deb came and she said, oh, it's so funny. She said, uh, I said, what happened? She said, well, here I am. I'm throwing the Frisbee. Huge wide area. It's like half a football field. And these two dogs start barking way over on the edge of the park. And all of a sudden, some lady yells, Hey, quit doing that. You're making my dogs bark. And I'm thinking, so now I'm listening. I said, where is she? No, I didn't. But uh, she said, she said, I'm just throwing a Frisbee with my dog. My dog's obeying me. It's trained. It's not barking. It's not, it's doing, her dog's got the problem. All right. You know, because I, I felt like saying, why, why didn't she train her dogs? You know, like art, but anyhow. So I said, so what are you going to, so what'd you do? He said, I just came in and we talked about it. You want to know why we didn't get in a big fuss with her? Because we represent the king. You know what I'm saying? I was giving tracks out in that RV park. I'm witnessing to people. You say, well, they're being mean. Well, So? Well, they're an enemy. They're acting like an enemy. Wow. What are you supposed to do with your enemies? Jesus said, what? Love your enemies. Well, well, well. That's sure different than the Democrats and Republicans today, isn't it? <laughs> Love your enemies. My, my, my. You say, I can't do that. You're exactly right. You can't. But Jesus can through you. 
And if you can't or won't, it's because you're not walking close enough to him. You need to get closer to Jesus. Amen. You know, everything we do should be with the reputation of our king in mind as soldiers. How does this and how will this cause others to see my king? Good soldiers do that. The mission to be accomplished is to go ahead and even be willing to die for the cause. Amen? So number one, good soldiers stay committed to the cause. But number two, good soldiers stay faithful to their friends. The tightest bonds you're ever going to meet out there are two soldiers that went through combat. And I don't care who they are, but their life hung in the balance based on the faithfulness of the other. In late years, they will fly halfway across the world to meet that buddy on his deathbed that sat in that foxhole with him and kept each other alive. It's a tight bond. Their lives hung in the balance. They stay faithful to their friends. I say this, as believers, we don't cut and run. We keep our buddies covered. We need each other. Never forget that. In this world, in its three-front war, believers, you need each other more than ever. I remember this moment, and this happens. Classic moment. I was up in Fairbanks, Alaska. I was the assistant pastor at the time. Working a job on the side, so I did the ministry for free. And I remember we had a work day. We all showed up at Kingsway Baptist Church to have our work day. And while we were there that day, as we closed things down, we're sipping coffee, and there's a, more than a dozen or more men there in the little deal. The ladies there got some cookies out, and we're finishing up in the basement of the church. And a guy named Glenn, Glenn Wagner, he went ahead, and Glenn was goofy Glenn. Glenn never had a serious bone in his body. He was always joking, always cutting up. And he said something to me that just torqued me. He just embarrassed me in front of all the men, made fun of me about something. Man, I'm the assistant pastor, you know, I got some responsibility. And he just embarrassed me to death. I smiled, you know how you smile and you laugh, but inwardly you're going, ooh, you got to be, you know. I mean, inwardly, that's what you feel like doing. And so he gets done with his little snarky thing, and I'm feeling about that big. And so Deb and I get in the blue marquee station wagon and off to, uh, we were in North Pole. We were heading back to Fairbanks where our, our little duplex was where we lived. And man, I'm telling you, my wagon is loaded. So as I'm driving along, Deb's sitting over there in the seat, and I said, did you hear what Glenn said to me? Do you hear what he, you see how snarky he was? How he just shamed me in front of those guys? And I begin to go through what Glenn did. She's not saying anything. She's real quiet and acting real spiritual. I hate that when she does that. She's praying. I know what she's doing. She's praying for me because I'm getting wound up. And I remember just going through that. And then I said, you know, and this was, this was my statement. I'm about five, ten minutes away from home. I'm in the bush. I'm in the middle of nowhere, no man's land. It's spring thaw, snows everywhere. And I said this to her, I said, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want him. I don't need him. I wish he'd get out of my life. And when I said those words, my temperature gauge goes sky high on the car, man. The thing blows over. The radiator boils over. The red lights come on. The car locks itself down. 
steam rolling from under the hood. I remember the first thing I said there is don't even think for a second this has anything to do with my attitude toward Glenn. Don't even go there. This is pure coincidence. Remember telling her that. So I'm sitting there with steam rolling over. I got no spare water, no spare antifreeze. I'm looking at this thing going, you've got to be kidding me. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Nobody even hardly drives this dumb road. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to have to go ahead and get snow, melt it, you know, and try to shovel some in there. And I know you've got to wait a little bit to let this thing cool down. So I'm waiting about five minutes. Finally, I said, man, I, I'm going to go do something. And I open the door. And as I open the door and step out, it, a vehicle stops behind me. I'm thinking, oh, great. I got a rubbernecker. He's going to show up and just kind of hang over me. What's going on? I mean, this is how spiritual I was. Don't think I'm always spiritual, okay? I mean, it's like, oh, great. Now, I got, I got this to deal with besides that. And as, as I step out of the car, I turn to look. And out of that white van steps Glenn Wagner. Glenn Wagner was the guy I was just talking about. Glenn Wagner's the church auto mechanic. He travels with all the gear. He helps everybody who's stranded. And here he comes. Glenn Wagner always walked with Tigger Springs like this. Non-military, right? And here comes Glenn. A high voice. Hey, Brother Dave! You need any help? That was Glenn. So what do you think I said? Now, you got to get the picture. I just said, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want him. I don't need him. We should get out of my life. Push. Ah. Then open the door, step out. Hey, Brother Dave. So what do you think I said? This is what I turned to him. I said, hey, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want you. I don't need you. Get out of my life. No, 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 no. Well, hi, Brother Glenn. Good to see you. My wife is sitting in a passenger seat with her arms crossed, looking up at me in the window through that door. And I know what she's thinking. You filthy hypocrite, you know? Oh, yeah. Were you, Mom? Yeah, oh, yeah. Don't you? Yeah. You know, sometimes we do get hurt by those closest to us. FYI, that's usually the ones that hurt you the most because they're close to you. That's just the way it is. If they're a thousand miles away, they can't hurt you. Amen? Profound. It's just like the psychologist saying, something bad happened to you in the past. Well, duh, it can't happen to you in the future. You know, I mean, there's just some profundities you don't have to go ahead and compute. You know what I'm saying? And get paid $150 an hour to say. It's just, anyhow, it's farm boy wisdom. And yeah, things happen. We're not always everything we ought to be. But let me, let me remind you, if you're saved tonight, the Spirit of God dwells here. You belong to the King. On this side of eternity, we're still the best we got. Amen? Don't ever get to that point you think you can make it alone. Don't ever get to that point where you just, because that's just pride. You just think you're good enough to make it alone. You think you're better than everybody else says, y'all with me? And you just go isolate yourself. Because when you do that as a believer, you are asking God to find a radiator cap in your life to blow it to remind you you still need others in your life.
and there's a lot of radiator caps he can tap. He can tap an emotional radiator cap. He can tap a financial radiator cap. He can tap a family radiator cap through kids and grandkids. Y'all with me? There's a lot of caps. A health radiator cap. There's a lot of caps. And the more isolated you get yourself, the more you're asking God to pick a bigger cap to get your attention. Don't do that. We still need each other. You know what we say in the military when the battle's going? Close ranks you get closer you don't get further apart when the battles wage and amen your unit ought to get tighter you ought to get closer there's strength and safety in the unit that doesn't get separated amen yeah you say whoa 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 but I'm, i mean i got bads you find your unit remember when there's a saul there's always a jonathan and sometimes more than one. Amen? You find those Jonathans and get close to them. Good soldiers stay committed to their cause. Good soldiers stay faithful to their friends. Why do we need each other? Why? Here's why. Because we all have a weak and vulnerable area. Every one of you tonight has a weak area. I have a weak area. Your preacher has a weak area. Your preacher's wife has a weak area. It's called your backside. Amen? It's called your backside. How do I know we have a weak area? James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Notice how it starts. Confess your faults one to another. The inference is, you've got a backside. You have a weak area. You have faults. Amen? How many of you would, if I said you have some weak areas in your life, could be emotional, could be spiritual, physical, whatever, but you have weak areas in your life, how many of you would say amen? Just raise your hand. Amen. I've met people, you know, I've actually met people that would, they may not say this, but this is their attitude. Uh, I can't think of a weak area, you know, in my life. I just, ah, I thought about it and I just, I am not flawed. You know, if that's your attitude, I found your weak area. It's the worst one, man. It's called pride. Amen? It's called pride. He's too proud to admit you've got issues. You're too proud to admit you're not everything you ought to be. Amen? Gary Prisk used to love to say that it really is like old McDonald's farm. Here a flaw, there a flaw. Everywhere a flaw, flaw. There's a lot of flaws. Amen? We are flawed individuals. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We all have a backside. Let me tell you something about your backside. Max, you're coming up shortly, not quite yet. Three things you want to never forget about your backside. You want to write these down. You got to write these down. I know I'm going to have to end up doing notes on these one of these times, Mom. Because number one, the first thing you need to know about your backside is it is unlovely. It's not your pretty side. Y'all with me? Y'all primp and preen the front side. You don't primp and preen the back side. All right, so the first thing I'm going to tell you about your backside, whether that's an emotional backside, a physical backside, a spiritual backside, it's not pretty. It's unlovely, number one. Number two, it's unseen. It's unseen by you. All you see is everybody else's unlovely areas. Could I get an amen there? 
Am I the only one? I, man, you give me 10 minutes with you and I'll tell you where you're screwed up. I was raised in a family. We were critical spirited Germans, man. We can find your messed up area fast. You just give me a little time to talk. I will find where you're screwed up. And we did it as lost people to leverage against. That was our protection. Have to have ammo, man. You're screwed up there, 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 there. Good. I got three good rounds. You start shooting at me, I got three to send back. So that's why we did it. It was a survival instinct when you got in a fight. Amen? Y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Quit acting like you don't know. The problem is, is we see everybody else's backside. Wow, boy, does she have problems, you know? Well, look at that guy, what? Oh, man, issues, you know? I mean, we see all theirs. We don't see ours. And guess what? They see ours. Y'all with me? So your backside is unlovely. Your backside is unseen by you. But here's the big one. Your backside is unprotected. This is the avenue where Satan... Where criticism, you with me? Where your enemies who hate you will come after you. You with me? Rarely they come after us like Daniel. They couldn't find an occasion unless it was against his God. Wouldn't that be sweet to be that way? We can be if we walk with the Lord, but oftentimes we're not. So the approach of attack is always going to be your weak area. All right? Now here, Brother Max, come on up. I want to use you here to illustrate something. As Max is coming, maybe you want to note this. I wrote down, why do Christians, filled with the Spirit of God, reading the Word of God, belonging to the Kingdom of God, why do they even have weak areas? You might want to note this. Number one, because of different stages of growth. Not all of us are instantly mature. None of us will be instantly mature. Salvation is an instant event. Maturity is a lifelong pursuit. Okay? Just like a baby doesn't immediately become a 20-year-old on day two. All right? They grow. Number two, because of different training. Different training and emphasis. It would surprise you how many different focuses are out there, even in the independent Baptist movement. And sometimes there's an overemphasis on something that isn't even really that biblical. And it, it, it becomes who you are. It becomes a blind side. Number three, I wrote this one, this one down, because of different life experiences. Let me say this. If you had leadership in your home betray you, you will find it very hard to trust leadership in the future. You all with me? If you had a daddy that was wicked, you're going to think that's how God is. Because your physical dad is your representative of the invisible dad. It's automatic. You superimpose that. It becomes a weak area, a blind side in your Christian life. You all with me? So all of these things contribute to who we are. And collectively, we don't have the glorified body yet. And so we have these blind areas. They're weak. They're vulnerabilities. All right. Here's what the devil wants you to do when you find somebody's blind side. You find somebody's weak side. The devil's desire is, you to, is for you to exploit their weakness to elevate yourself. But the Lord's desire is for you to protect their weakness and die to yourself. 
Let me illustrate. I don't know, Max, if this is you, all right, but I'm just going to make this you. And based on the response of the people, I'll find out if this is you. So let me start with me. If you were to just go, let's go personality and who I am, okay? Number one, I'm extremely punctual. I hate being late. You can ask my wife. If I'm going to be late, I'm not a fun guy to be with because I get really quiet and really intense, like let's go. I can't stand being late, number one, okay? Number two, I'm not a slob. I pick up after myself. I'm neat. I'm clean. Some would say you're, uh, what, what do they call that? Uh, OCD, which I always say, well, those guys got it wrong, you know, at least alphabetize it, CDO, you know, but <laughs> so some of you are OCD out there. Okay. I already know who you are. Okay. I picked you out in our time together this week. Okay. You're me. I know who you are. <laughs> Amen. So I'm punctual. I'm clean. I'm, you know, I'm not a slob, but my weak area is. I can, I can get very impatient. Not angry. God, the Spirit of God broke me from the spirit of anger early in my Christianity. I was a very angry person before I got saved. Got rid of my temper very early in my Christianity. It taught me an incredible lesson. But I can become very intense and impatient. And I can write you off very quickly. I'm the guy that will cut bait quickly. Yeah, you're not serious. That's me. I'm not as long-suffering as some. I'm not that patient. I'm really not. I couch it with humor, but in my flesh, I'm not patient. In Jesus, I'm very patient. But if I get in the flesh, I'm very impatient. I got no time for people messing around and jerking my chain and wasting my time. That's just, that's who I am by nature. So here's what happens. The guy that'll drive me nuts is the slob. Now, how do you know if you're a slob? You can't find the pedals on your car because all your fast food wrappers are down there. Okay, is that, is that Max? No, okay. All right, but you know what I'm saying? But you know what I notice about most slobs? They're very patient people. Y'all with me? They're just like happy campers. No problem. Sorry, I'm a half hour late. Hey, no problem. Gives me time to get another burger. You know, I mean, they're real patient people. You with me? So here's what happens. My long suit is discipline. My short suit, my backside is impatience, and I'm not merciful and long-suffering. But the slob, right, his backside is he's a slob, and he's never punctual. But his long suit, man, he's patient, kind, forgiving. So here's what I can do. I can go find his backside and go, ha, ha. I'm not that, and I can elevate myself at his expense. You with me? Put him down and go ahead and feel spiritual because that's not my weak area, even though I have one. Or I can choose with my strength to guard his weakness, my discipline, help him become more disciplined, and his mercy and patient spirit can guard my impatient spirit and train me and challenge me to become a more patient person. Do you see that? See, the devil wants me to exploit the weakness, to elevate self. The Lord wants me to find the weakness, guard it, and die to self. Thank you, Max. Appreciate it. Give Max a round of applause, all right? He deserves one, all right? Max, I know when I see you next time, you're even going to have more hair. I know it. I know it right down here, right here.
Amen. Thank you, Brother Max. Um, You know what's interesting? Jesus Christ found your fault, didn't he? What a weak area we all had. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, we were unrighteous, ungodly, sinful enemies of God, according to Romans chapter 5. And what did he do with your weakness? He chose to die for you, to become your strength. He said, he said, I'll become poor that you through my poverty might become rich. Amen? That's what the Lord did for us, the greatest act of love. He was the greatest soldier that ever lived. Go to John 12. I'll close with this. I think the thing you and I need to realize tonight as we're turning to John 12, I wrote this down because I think this is very important. What you do when you find somebody's backside, don't miss this, What you do when you find somebody's backside reveals more about who you are than who they are. Because everybody's got a backside. It's not news. What you do when you find your spouse's backside says more about you than it does about them. What you do when you find a fellow brother or sister's backside at that moment, says and reveals more about who you are than who they are. Jesus found your backside and chose to die for it. He didn't gossip about it. He didn't go ahead and use it against you. He looked beyond your fault, saw your need, and got butchered for your sin. That's an amazing Savior. Look at what he says in John 12, or John 15. Look at what he says in verse number 12. In John 15 and verse number 12. Talking about true friendship and true love. In John 15 and verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this. What? That a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, fellow soldiers, fellow brothers, fellow sisters... I want to challenge you tonight to stay faithful to your king. When I come through in three years, I want to look for every one of you, and I want to see every one of you in your place, serving the Lord and a whole bunch more joining you. Amen? But I also want to see you faithful to your friends. Don't cut and run. The world's not going to give you what you're looking for. Amen? God will through God's people. There's something sweet about loyalty, isn't there? I still remember the Battle of the Bulge. I've met survivors from that while I traveled, amazing guys. But I still remember that movie they did. It was the unit that held, uh, man, I can't remember my mind just went blank. I hate that when I do that. No, no. But anyhow, these guys held out 20 below weather. I mean, they were just a handful by the time that thing ended and Patton came through with the third army and bailed them out. 
But I remember as they pieced their little unit back together, man, they were limping and gipping, and they were going home, and they were marching out. And as they were walking out in, in the formation, two lines, the fresh recruits were coming in. They were coming in. They, boy, they're looking spiffy and sharp. And that old sergeant said, hey, boys, let's look alive. And they all kind of stood a little taller, and they all sh- just shattered guys, but they'd been through a lot together. And I can still hear their cadence. You had a good home when you're left, you're right. You had a good home when you're left, you're right. Sound off. And they just walked so tight. They'd been through so much together. And they survived something nobody should have survived. Hey, church family, grow old together. Grow old together. Hey, marriages, something sweet about growing old together. You say, I got a rough marriage. Here's the deal. You can't choose who covers you. You can only choose who you cover. The question tonight is not who's got you covered. Jesus already did that. The question is, who are you covering tonight? Who do you know everything about? And choose not to leverage them, but to love them. Can't do that. Only Jesus can through you. You ought to get closer to him. Amen? You cannot control who covers you. You have to choose who you're going to cover. Amen? Fellow brothers and sisters, fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, I hope tonight you belong to the household of Epaphroditus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.